Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is a, a, a passage in Scripture that I'm sure, that's the what you just saw on the screen, is one that you've heard before, you've probably read before. It's something that is probably ultimately familiar to, to all of you in some way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe um, uh, you have this uh, uh, sewed on some sort of display in your house, um, or maybe you've seen this, uh, uh, someone's put it up on Facebook. Um, this passage, the, this psalm, this chapter is really kind of saturated within the lexicon of, of, of Christianity. It, obviously, it's in God's Word, but it's something that we use a lot, and really because two reasons. One, they're, they're good, encouraging words. There's nothing at first glance that we would see in these verses that would cause us to be like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. No, it's, 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 it seems to be happy stuff. And then also, it's short. We uh, Christians like short chapters in the Bible. At least that's been my experience. Uh, uh, this is five verses. Psalm 100 is five verses. And today we're going to look at one of the very first thank you notes of all time. So in your Bible, if you were to turn to Psalm 100 in your Bible, um, it'll be on the screen, so don't worry if you don't have yours here, or you can certainly look on your phones. It'll be labeled, it'll have a title, something to the effect of a psalm for, great, for giving grateful praise. That's uh, typically the title that it's given at the very top. Um, now it's a short chapter, as I mentioned, five verses. But what we're going to do here first is we're going to look at it in its entirety, in its entirety, and again, don't worry, five verses, we can handle this, right? So we're going to look at it in its entirety, and then we're going to do something really interesting. I'll get into that in just a second. So here, here is the psalm, the whole chapter on one screen, starting with verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Number 2, worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Verse 3, know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now, every Sunday, I, I'm excited to be able to have this time with all of you, whether you're here in person or you're watching via the live stream. One is I just love, I love being able to be in God's uh, church and to be with God's people. Uh, but I also get excited to unpack God's Word. And there are some times that I get even more excited uh, I'm not going to tell you which ones I've gotten more excited about in the past. Um, I want to show favoritism. Just like, just like I tell my kids, I, I, I say, I have a favorite child, and you will never know. <laughs> um, I don't, actually. But uh, nonetheless, nonetheless, I'm really excited about this time together this morning. And the reason being is because I love doing what we're about to do. Uh, and this, basically what we're going to be doing, I'm going to be walking you through a biblical exegesis of Psalm 100. And a biblical exegesis, I know that those are maybe some kind of 
big words. Well, biblical, we got that, right? Exegesis is basically an unpacking of Scripture. It's an unpacking of the text. And what I mean by unpacking is that when we approach God's Word, it's good. It's good to open up Daily Bread or My Almost for His Highest or Jesus Calling or something and, and read a verse and then read someone's thoughts about that verse. That, that's, that's good, and I think that that's a helpful thing and practice in our lives. But it's also critical for us as believers to really dive in and to unpack what God's Word is actually saying. And there's facets that go into explaining God's Word. Because when we look at it only at first glance, we miss so much. We miss so much. Because we, we need to consider things like the cultural context. We need to consider things like the historical context. If we know who was the author, who was the audience, uh, what, what, what was the literary form in which this was written in, what was the original language, all these things come together and coalesce into a complete understanding of God's Word. And we're going to do that. Here was Psalm 100. And, and at first glance, you're going to look at Psalm 100 and you're going to see a passage, you're going to see a chapter that, like I said, you've heard, you've read, you've said many times. And, and this is one of those sections of Scripture that has kind of entered into the platitude, the cliche category of, of uh, Christianity. We tend to look at it that way. We don't give it a lot of credence. My goal today is to show you how powerful and rich and deep this passage is. So we're going to do that. We're going to break this down verse by verse because there's so much to these verses than one might initially expect. So you want to get out your pens. If you had a pen, I'd encourage you to get that out and write these things down because all you're going to see on the screen, all you're going to see on the screen are the verses, and then we're going to go through. I'm going to give some information, and you might want to write this stuff down as we go along. So the first thing we're going to look at is verse 1. We're going to do a national treasure on this chapter, all right? We're going to Nicholas Cage this treasure. Here we go. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. That's verse 1. Right off the bat, right off the bat, we find that these verses aren't what they seem at first glance because the reference here to shouting isn't actually referring to singing, which actually should relieve some of you here. This isn't referring to singing. Instead, it refers to an invitation to shout homage to a king. It's like, it's like in some of those old-timey uh, movies, or not really old movies, but movies about old times where kings are coming into their kingdom on their horse and people are shouting. We've all seen scenes like that. Name the movie, you've seen it. And people are shouting and they're not doing that out of anger. They're not doing that out of some sort of vitriol, but rather they're giving homage. They're shouting homage to the king because he's deserved of that. That's what, that's what this verse is initially saying. Shout, shout for joy. Pay homage to the king. Pay homage to the king. Note also that this verse stakes claim to the entirety of the earth and that it is God's. In that, there is no breakdown of the earth's inhabitants. It doesn't say, shout for joy to the Lord, 
you people over here, or you things over here. No, it says all the earth, all the earth. There's a song, my favorite worship song is Make a Joyful Noise um, slash I Will Not Be Silent. It was written by David Crowder. And I love this song because it, it, it talks about a journey. It recognizes this verse by, by saying um, the, the earth will, it makes a joyful noise. That apart from my uh, uh, participation in shouting joy and shouting praise to God, uh, apart from my participation in that, the earth itself praises God. That it does that. The rocks cry out, it says, the Bible says. And, and then the, the song, as it progresses, the writer then says, I will not be silent. Meaning I'm not going to let the, the mountains or the rocks cry out my praise. I'm going to lift my praise up to my God. I'm going to pay homage to my king. But there's no breakdown of the earth's inhabitants in that all the earth, all the earth is to give homage to the king. That means everybody and everything. Everybody and everything. There is no one or nothing that is exempt from this. That's verse one. Verse one. Verse two. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Again, we can look at this and we see that phrase, worship the Lord, and we assume we know what it means. But that phrase actually is one Hebrew word. The Old Testament, written in, in ancient Hebrew, it's one word, and that word is abad. Abad. And that word means literally to work, labor, or to do. To work, labor, or to do. It essentially means to expend considerable energy, of one's considerable energy and intensity in a task or a function. So this is quite different from our initial take on what worship is. Instead, this word, this word of vod, it, this word indicates that to worship God is to serve him. To worship God is to serve him. And so with this understanding, there is no distinction. There's no distinction between worship, praise, and service. So that means that this word is simply telling us that praise and prayer alone will go stale. If that's all that our Christian life is, praise and prayer, that will go stale. But if it's just service alone, it will go stale. Worship the Christian life is a correlation. It is in the meshing of both those things. Praise and prayer and service. That is worship. James talks about this, doesn't he, in the New Testament? That works without faith is dead. Those things need to coexist. The Christian life is simultaneously giving prayer and praise while also serving the Lord. This is the embodiment of worship. Praise with service. Praise with service. The psalmist then lays out what it means to worship by also beckoning us to come before him. We see that here in, in verse 2. It says, come before him with joyful, with joyful songs. And we're going to look at this, this word because this come before him is actually, again, one word, one Hebrew word. We'll look at that a little later. But 
know for now that this word means literally the act of facing God. So this is actually intentionally turning to God so that you're face-to-face with him. You ever have conversations with someone, and while you're talking to them, they're not really looking at you? Doesn't that just drive you crazy? Right? You're like, hey, 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 over here, over here, right? That's what God is doing almost all the time with us. Hey, 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 over here, over here. So this come before him, this word is is the, the act of facing God so that the Christian, we shouldn't just casually reference God in our lives. We shouldn't look at God through our peripheral vision. Rather, we should give him our full attention. So to come before him is to do an about face and face God, giving him our complete and utter attention. That's verse 2. In verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. All right. The word that in this verse that is key is the word know. Not the word N-O, right? The, the word K-N-O-W. Know. To know God, the psalmist is saying that to know God to know that God is the true God is not a suggestion. It, the psalmist doesn't say, hey, maybe, you know, think about knowing God. It's a good idea. Consider it. That's not what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is unequivocally saying, know God. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command. And the reason this is so important, the reason this is so important, is to know God is the very foundation on which our praise is built. To know him is the foundation on which our praise is built. I'll give you an example. Oreos are the bomb. You can't disagree with me on that. Oreos are amazing. It would be a tragedy if I was in heaven and there weren't Oreos because they're just synonymous to me. Now, Oreos, if I was to praise them like that to you in this place, but have never had one, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? So we can only legitimately praise that which we know. Without knowing God, without knowing Him, we cannot praise Him. The psalmist also points out here in verse 3 how critical it is that you and I recognize where we stand with God. And I've said this many, many times um, in my life, but certainly since I've been here, it's a simple phrase, but it's so true. There is a God, and I'm not him. There is a God, and I'm not him. Would you say that with me? Here we go. There is a God, and I'm not him. One more time. There is a God, and I'm not him. Not, our, not only are we not him, we're not even close. 
the process, the process of us recognizing that we are sheep. I know that word gets a bad rap these days. It's being used in a very negative way. I understand the context of that, but as we look at the context here in Scripture, sheep isn't an aspiration. So when the psalmist says here that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, it's not saying that you should aspire to be sheep. It's saying you are sheep. One of, the, one of the fallacies of the Christian life that just, it, it, it continues to annoy me that, that many Christians don't see this, but one of the fallacies of the Christian life is that, uh, we, that uh, growing as a Christian is a process of becoming better Christians. And I don't see it that way. I think Scripture doesn't teach us that being, uh, growing in, as a Christian is, is the process of becoming a better Christian. I think that the Bible teaches us that, that growing as a Christian is the process of recognizing our complete and utter dependency on God. It's a, it's a stripping away of ourselves. It is, it is a, a gradual realization that we are nothing without him. And that's, that's literally what makes then his involvement in our lives that much more astounding and beautiful. As sheep, we are completely and utterly dependent on God's provision, safety, guidance, correction, and love. That's verse 3. Verse 4 <clears throat> Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Again, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. I, for me, there are three verses in the Bible or three sections of Scripture that to me seem the most important. One is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 specifically. Another is John 17, specifically where Jesus says, uh, I want those that you, you have given to me to be with me where I am. And then this verse, which is strange it might be strange for you to hear me say that because it just seems so vanilla, doesn't it? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It's almost as if I should be waving around a banner and having a tambourine in my hand, right? Those, these are the things that we associate with this verse. But there is so much depth in these words alone. The very first word of this verse, enter, we've seen this word before. It wasn't in that form, in our English form, but it was in the Hebrew uh, word, um, come before. We saw that before, come before him in verse 2, where it's, uh, the psalmist specifically says, come before him with joyful songs. That's the same word that's being used here at the beginning of verse 4. And that's the Hebrew word bo, B-O. 
We previously saw this word, as I mentioned, with come before him. And again, this is that face-to-face. It is that recognition. It is that, that turning from other things and giving our full attention to God. It's a beckoning, a movement towards God. And then what's beautiful here is that we're being taught here in this word alone. We're being taught that God makes himself accessible to us. We don't think about this nearly as much as we should. But this is astounding. Think about this. This is the almighty creator God that has every right because he's transcendent. He is so beyond us. He has every right to keep himself beyond arm's distance. But yet he constantly has made himself accessible to you and to me. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him. How incredible is this? He wants, we can, I can't even get in to see my doctor, right? But God wants us to come to him. And we see, we, we, the most beautiful representation of this truth is Jesus. What are, we, what are we saying? What does Emmanuel mean? Somebody tell me. God with us. This beautiful accessibility that we have with God. He wants to be with us. He wants us to come to Him. There's no better evidence of God's accessibility than the gift of His Son, Jesus. And it's in this verse, verse 4, And we haven't even gotten beyond the first word. It's in this verse that we lay witness to a beautiful prophecy that we have in Jesus. You see, before before Jesus, before he died on the cross, uh, there was the temple. I'm talking about the logistical, actual temple in Jerusalem there. The one that was built, destroyed, built again. There was a holy of holies. Many of you have heard this before, but just a refresher course. But there was this section within the temple that only the high priest could go. Actually, the high priest, when they, uh, when they would go in, when that person would go in, they would have a rope tied around their waist. Because if they died while they were in there, there was no one allowed to be able to go in to retrieve them. So they would have to pull them out that way. There was this curtain, this, this very strong, dense curtain. It wasn't just like one of those see-through ones that you have in your house. It was a very dense curtain that existed that separated the entrance from the Holy of Holies then to that place that only the high priest could go to. And so what happens? When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, for my sins and for yours, that curtain, that actual physical curtain is, is, is torn in two. It is ripped in two. And it's a symbol of what has actually then happened spiritually. In that now because of Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, and then his ultimate resurrection from the dead, we now have immediate access to God. We have a VIP pass to God. There's no longer this barrier between us and God. Anybody ever been Black Friday shopping? Anybody ever, ever camped outside of a store 
prior to that. It's like, it's like being lined up like horses at the beginning of a race, right? And then these doors are open, and it's just this cacophony of people flooding in to get TVs or blenders. But that's what's kind of happened here, is that the gates have been flung open, There is no longer this barrier between us and God because of Jesus. And nothing, nothing can keep us out of God's courts. And so in light of this, there's this phrase, and it says, give thanks. And again, these are words that we've read, that we say, that we take for granted. But this phrase, give thanks, is actually a Hebrew word. that that The Hebrew word is yada. And it means, interestingly, to shoot a bow, throw, or hurl through the air. So the psalmist here is saying that in light of this access that we have, this amazing access to God, this fact that the Almighty Creator actually wants us to be with Him, that we should give thanks, but it's not just, thank you, No, we're to hurl our praise. We are to release any inhibition, and we are to, with abandonment, give our praise to God. It's a much different perspective, isn't it? What would it be like if the church in our lives praised God in that way? It'd be revolutionary. And then the final verse, verse 5. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This is the simplest but yet most profound verse in this chapter. And the reason is, is because the psalmist here isn't stating that the Lord can be good. It's not that, that this is a process of what God has or the result of what God has achieved. We tend to look at things like that in that linear way because that's how our lives are often shaped. We measure ourselves based on what we have and haven't done. And we wouldn't want to admit it, but we often measure other people that way as well. And so when we look at God... We tend to think of his goodness in relation to whether or not he's earned that in our lives and through our perspective. But that's not the way that we should be looking at God because his goodness isn't an achievement. What does the psalmist say here? The Lord is good. It isn't something God's achieved. It is rather who he is. It is his nature. And because it's his nature, it is unchanging. That's what the psalmist is saying. Because something you achieve, something you develop, it will fade. It will go away. But it's in his nature, so it will forever remain, just like his love will forever remain. It will endure forever. God is forever eternal, and so his goodness and his love and his faithfulness endures forever. 
Well, whenever I do a, a biblical exegesis, like we've, we've processed through here in, in this time, uh, I go through a, a specific routine. I'll take a passage of Scripture like this, Psalm 100, and I will then compare it to two different uh, translations. So I might look at the NIV and the NLT and the NASB, and I'll look at some of those variations, and I'll highlight specific things that are similar in each variation. And then I'll go into and look at the cultural and the historical context, the language, the author, the, the, uh, the literary agent, all that kind of stuff will, will come together. And then what I'll do is I'll paraphrase I'll paraphrase that scripture, highlighting the key points. Because whenever we, whenever we do this, whenever we uh, look at scripture, we do a hermeneutic, we study God's word, we should always be asking the question, and this is not a bad question, God wants us to do this. We should always be asking the question, it's two words, so what? So what? So what is this passage telling us? Well, this is what I would suggest. God is the king of everyone and everything. God is the king of everyone and everything. Whom we should serve and give our complete attention. Whom we should serve and give our complete attention. And should be known and depended on and should be known and depended on because of what he has done, because of what he has done, and because of who he is and forever will be. God is the king of everyone and everything whom we should serve and give our complete attention and should be known and depended on because of what he has done and because of who he is and forever will be. That is the best thank you note ever. Let's pray. Lord, I am just so grateful to have had this opportunity uh, with, with others here and those that are watching uh, to unpack your word, Lord. And I pray that as we continue to process this throughout today and maybe the week, Lord, that you would speak even more truth into our lives, Lord, that you would, that you would not only reveal yourself as you never fail to do, but that we would have the ability to, to, to listen and to respond. And, and that, will, that will happen if, if we give you our full attention. So, Father, I pray that we, would, that we would cease giving our full attention to, to this thing or to that thing and only, only give you the peripheral. But I pray, Father, we would turn our head completely and fully to you so that we can know you and we can see you, we can praise you and follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today. It's so good to see you and to be seen. And I uh, can't wait to see you next Sunday. Our new worship director will be joining us. So that'll be exciting. God bless.